You're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 223. If you've got the best lemonade stand in the world in the middle of the desert and nobody knows you're there, like, what does it matter? Like, it doesn't matter. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and I want you to know how happy I am that you're showing up here today. After all, it's the middle of summer, at least here in the U.S., so there's a lot going on. The sun calls you outside as I'm looking outside of my office window and (laughs) seeing the bright beams coming in. There are barbecues, vacations, special time with family, but you know, If you want to have a business come the fall, business has to continue through the summer, even if it's at a little bit of a slower pace. As much as I try, though, the pace doesn't slow down too much over here at Gift Biz. I try to sneak away some afternoons to work at home outside, and I have a couple of places at my house. One is the backyard patio, and then I have a really private, quaint little decorated corner on my front porch where I'll also work. It's fun to be able to change the environment, and it's also really conducive to my productivity when I work in those places. So I hope you're doing some of that too. Maybe you're even listening to this show while you're out doing something like walking the dog, or I don't know, maybe you're even at the beach. And that's the great thing about podcasts. They're so digestible from almost anywhere. I love watching people discover podcasts for the first time too. Have you had this experience? There's so many people who are still learning about them and how valuable they are. Tons of entertainment and information, all for free. If you know somebody who's a gifter, baker, crafter, or maker, will you do me a favor and share Gift Biz Unwrapped with them? You'll be doing something special for both of us. They find a new source for business inspiration and knowledge, and we get to welcome others into this show. This is actually a great episode for them to listen to, too, because I have a guest on who has a client that will pique your interest. Many of you, anyway. Who knows the company Cricut? If not, they're a manufacturer of electronic cutting machines, super popular, that allow you to produce amazing handmade products. Anyway, what would you pay to get a behind-the-scenes peek at their marketing strategy? guess what? You don't have to pay anything. It's free right here, right now. Tracy, my guest this week, is an expert when it comes to makers and how to make Facebook really work for our unique community. And you guessed it, one of her clients is Cricut. I won't make you wait a minute longer. Let's dive into the show. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Tracy Reuter of Divine Social. Tracy believes that entrepreneurs and businesses can change the world, and her mission is to support them along the way. As owner and CEO of Divine Social, Tracy helps business owners build and grow their businesses so they can focus on providing value to their customers and positively impacting the world. Along with 25 years of experience in sales and marketing, Tracy is blessed with an uncanny ability 
to take another company's mission, vision, and message and get it in front of the right people at the right time through authentic marketing. Tracy's superpower is her ability to visualize each client's ideal strategy and then map it out for them in a clean and simple way. She's certified in all things related to Instagram and Facebook ads, managing nearly $4 million in ad spend, and is a contributing author for the bestseller, The Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising. Tracy, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks for having me, Sue. I'm really, really excited to be here. I'm super excited to talk to your audience today. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, and we really need your help and advice. So (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. Okay, I'll do my very best. (laughs) And before we get started, because this is a whole group of makers and creators, I like to have you share a little bit about yourself in a different way, and that is through a motivational candle. So if you were to describe to us a candle that really speaks to you, Tracy, what color would it be and what would be a quote or some type of saying on your candle? Okay. So for me, the color of the candle would be purple. That's always been my color since I was a very, very little girl. And if I had a quote on it, I probably would have a quote that said, think powerfully. And the reason for that, Sue, is I think that both the color for me personally, the color purple and that phrase just reminds me And it represents all of the possibilities that lie ahead, goals, dreams, aspirations, because I know when I dreamt as a little girl with having a purple bedroom and wall-to-wall purple, and for me, that was my first time that I ever envisioned goal setting. And then thinking powerfully, reminding myself that I have the power to think powerfully, to think powerful thoughts. It really guides me each and every day. So I love that question because I've never really (laughs) thought about it, but I'm like, now I need to have that candle. (laughs) There you go. Absolutely, you do. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm thinking a very bright and vibrant purple. Yes. Nothing light and pale lilac, but very bright. Very bright. If you could see my current pedicure, it is very, very bright purple. So you nailed it. (laughs) That's so funny. I also gravitate to the purple for my toes, FYI. (laughs) Oh, good to know. There we go. All right. Let's talk a little bit about how you've gotten to where you are right now, just to ground everybody a little bit of your experience, and then we'll dive into Facebook ads. Yeah, so I'll try to give you a high level, but I got a degree in marketing, but I ended up in sales for many years. In fact, you and I were chatting about we lived in the same area. And I used to be an area director, area vice president for AT&T. And so I worked with huge, huge clients and small clients and I had a sales team. And then several years ago, my husband actually got very, very sick. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's on my 29th birthday. He was really young and it shook up our lives. And I had been raised in a blue collar family, but my uncle was this wildly successful entrepreneur who came from nothing, literally was an immigrant from Greece and had nothing. And today, I mean, gosh, it's been uh, four decades, but he's now one of the most successful commercial real estate developers. And so I remember when I had to figure out what to do with my husband's illness and it was there's something I could do that I could do from home that I could support my family. And it's interesting that we're talking to makers today because I am an avid cross-stitcher and quilter and sewing and all those things. I actually never thought about following my hobby. I went practical. And so I ended up going the digital marketing route and learning how to do some of the things that I used to do in corporate America, how to do those things online so I could be home more. Because Sue, I was traveling all the time and I was gone about 80 hours a week. And so I couldn't do that anymore. And so anyway, long story short is I started realizing I was really, really good at digital marketing. I was especially good at social advertising. I got really hooked when I realized that I could put a dollar in to an ad and get a dollar or $2 or $3 out. It was like, this is magical. Like I must get great at this. 
And then full circle, well, I'm not sure if it would be full circle, but I realized at some point in the process that watching my uncle as a young girl, watching him build something amazing out of nothing, I got to see the ripple effect of what his decision, his risk taking to be an entrepreneur to create something. In his case, he took a plot of land that was a marsh field and turned it into, it's now called the Golden Triangle in a little town on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And you know, it's just it just blew my mind what an entrepreneur could create and could put out into the world and how that risk and that decision not only changed his life, his children's lives, my life, my whole family's life, the community. And so that was a big piece of what spurred me to start my agency because if I could take my superpower and put them behind people like my uncle and help propel them into success, and I just knew I was in the right place at the right time. And so that's kind of how I ended up here. So I have to tell you, first of all, thank you for sharing the story. You have found your secondary tribe right here of makers <laughs> from the cross-stitching. So we're going to have a great conversation and you're going to feel right at home with all the people who are listening and sending you good vibes for sure. Oh, I appreciate that. That's exciting. It's funny that you talk about your story because I was also traveling a ton. In fact, my second office I always felt like was O'Hare because <laughs> I was always <laughs> yes. going in and out of there. I bet you and I crossed paths several times <laughs> during that time. I bet we did. It's always amazing. As I was listening to your story also about how you had with your AT&T, your corporate structure, and then your uncle and all of that influences you to where you are now. You can never start out like when you're graduating from college to understand the path that you're truly going to take. Oh, my word. Like you might have a destination, but yes. it's all these other little pieces that merge into what is today. And I find that fascinating. It's so true. You just don't know. And I didn't even know. It wasn't actually until I worked with a coach who really helped us dive into our story. And it helped me understand that those times with my uncle, he was sowing seeds in me that were teaching me how to be a visionary. And I think that's actually led into the, my ability to see strategy for businesses, to see, uh, I sat down with a friend who's just starting to be a realtor and over coffee and very casually, I took a piece of paper and I said, this is what you do. And I mapped it out really fast and his jaw dropped. And I was like, what? That's not a big deal. Doesn't that make sense to you? And he's like, yes, but I, I would have never thought of that. And so I think a lot of that does come from those influences that I had no idea at four years old. And then at 12 years old, I had no idea that as he was making those changes and explaining to me, like, cause he took me, he took me to that plot of land and told me what was going to be there. I didn't realize I was becoming a visionary back then, or I was learning what it would take to mm -hmm. do that. So mm -hmm. it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun stuff. It is. But it also, you were at a point where you were accepting that because you could feel that it would work for you. Some people might've been in that same situation and just sloughed it off. It just wasn't something that they were into, interested, or it didn't resonate with them in terms of, even though it was unconscious, it sounds like for you at the time, it just yep. might not have been picked up. Yeah, for sure. And the rest of my family influence was very traditional, right? Get a good job with good benefits. And that's how I ended up at AT&T because my mother always was like, get a good job and get benefits. And even though I've developed this very successful agency and a really lovely life, she still has a hard time with the fact that I don't have a job with benefits. <laughs> right, because that's what they know. That's what they're comfortable with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've had that conversation with my family as well. Yeah. So, okay, but we are sitting here with a whole group of women entrepreneurs who either have started their business, are thinking about starting their business, are in all different levels of business, and we're faced with Facebook, and I'm going to say Facebook slash Instagram because I think that's important to talk about them maybe together somewhat. Yeah. But, oh my gosh, seriously changing by the day. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, it's hard. Oh my gosh, crazy. So you have your work cut out for you, I think, just in terms of how that affects advertising as well. But how are you feeling overall about the platform? I guess we should just stick with Facebook with this question, but the platform versus all of the other platforms, given the attention it's gotten in the media and all the changes that Zuckerberg has been making lately. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, it's definitely that I've had days where I've thought, what on earth? Like, why did you have to pick this route? Because <laughs> it definitely hasn't been easy. However, I actually feel very optimistic. And, and and it is in a way, we can talk specifically Facebook, but Facebook and Instagram, everything is run off of the same exact platform. It's the same company. They're just different delivery mediums. But I do feel really good about it. And the reason I feel good about it is it is still the number one place where the majority of the population globally is hanging out. By far. Yeah. By far. Instagram is growing by leaps and bounds, absolutely growing by leaps and bounds. And especially for your audience, it's worthwhile to discuss it because it's so visual. And usually makers have something that's very visual. And we can talk about that because my biggest client that I've been working with for three years is a very, very big staple in the maker community. Not in every aspect of the maker community, right? But in paper crafting. Can you share with us who it is or no? Yeah, no, absolutely. So for the last three and a half years, my team, my company and I, we've been running all the traffic for a company called Cricket. Oh, people will totally know them. So in the last three years, if you've seen a Facebook at like a sponsored post from Cricket, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, that's my team. That's either me personally or the amazing woman that I have that works for me or some of the other team members. So we've been doing a lot in the makerspace and it's still like we have not seen for them specifically, we have not seen a single dip in their results, even with all the things that have gone on in Facebook. And so I'm still very positive about it. I think that if you can get a strategy in your mind about how you're going to use it, that's going to help you tremendously. Because I think the challenge for somebody who's looking at it, like standing at the base of a mountain zoo is like, I don't know what to do. And it seems very, very overwhelming. And so if you can, rather than getting bogged down in all of the possibilities, it's just kind of baby steps, taking one step at a time. So I think it's still to this day, I think it's extremely worthwhile. I don't think it should be ignored. Now, here's the downside, right, is several years ago, this is not new. This has been going on for five and a half, almost six years. Facebook made major changes so that if you have a business page, which you should, or even if you're a very tiny maker, you should have a business page. They made it so that if you put a post on your business page, maybe one to 2% of your followers are going to see that. And that's been going on for a really long time and that is not going to change. And so that's one of those things that when I talk to people, if I can encourage you to have the right mindset of knowing that going in and instead of being frustrated and annoyed or all the things we could be about that is just know that it is what it is. And there was a time before digital marketing that the only way to get your projects out or your beautiful things that you're creating out into the world would be going to craft fairs or taking out an ad in the newspaper or doing something very, very different than what you can do with digital. Does that make sense? It makes 100% absolute sense for sure. And I want to back it up just for a second. Most of the listeners who have been following me know because I harp on this all the time. And I just want to reinforce it for anybody who's new who hasn't heard this yet before. Within Facebook, you have a personal account. And then when you're doing business on Facebook, you want to have a business page that is connected under your personal account not a separate account that's the name of your business. Yes. There's reasons for that. We won't go into all of that now because I want to stick with the topic at hand, but make sure you don't set up a separate account as a business name because you're at risk of getting shut down and you don't get to see all the insights and all the goodies that a business account will provide. 
Yes. Good advice. Anytime it comes up, I want to make sure to say that because, oh my gosh, I still see so many people setting up the other way. And that's just, you're losing a lot of history that you could be gaining by having it set up right at first. And you're also making yourself very vulnerable to getting shut down. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I'm really glad you also mentioned the fact that visibility on just organic posts is so low because I do know I was just at a conference a couple weeks ago and one of my presentations was on social media, just, you know, kind of the basics and getting everybody so everyone was together. And still people are thinking that kind of like email, if you send an email, you think the person's going to receive it. If you make a post, everybody who's following you will receive that. And it's not true. One, two, if you're at 3%, you're probably lucky, wouldn't you say, Tracy? If you're at 3%, you're doing amazing. I can tell you Cricket is somewhere between 6 to 8%. And we're looking at, I'd have to look at the page, but I think we're over 800,000 followers. It's a very, very small percentage and it is what it is. And there are ways, right? There are ways if you've got a very, very engaged, like for example, my soon-to-be sister-in-law is a baker. She has an amazing cookie bakery. She needs to be listening to the show, Tracy. She does. (laughs) I'm going to tell her all about it. So she had actually in the beginning was doing all of her cookie business through a personal page. And we got her to create a business page, just like you're saying, for the exact reasons you're saying. And she has a huge family. And so very quickly, you know, everybody got on there and her engagement is actually really, really good because she trained people from her personal page to come over to her business page. And she did that by sharing posts from her business page to her personal page until people got used to the fact that that's where she would share her beautiful creations. And so there's ways, I mean, that's one little hack that you can do. But the other thing is to use paid social, paid amplification to use the paid side of things. And I think if you're trying to really build this into a profitable business, having the mindset that you are going to invest in some advertising is a good thing. It's not an expense, right? It's an investment. Well, and that sets the exact stage that we want because before anything digital, what were we doing? You would put ads in your local paper. Yellow pages was still a thing, right? Yep. So it's the same thing. It's just because we had that intermediary time where everything was free and visibility was more widespread. Now that we're having to pay, it's feel like something is being taken away from us. But really, we're going back to, in a way, the way it was before. It's just now in a different medium. Correct. That's exactly right. So mindset and all this is really important. It really is. So let's talk about this. Now, you were mentioning strategy and you have to think about what you're doing. And I'm going to speak for all of you gift biz listeners, but I know for sure that some of you and a lot of you, I think, are going to agree that we just feel like we need to be running Facebook ads because we hear that everybody else is doing it. So we jump in without really a strategy. Yeah. Like we want to be able to check the mark that says we're doing Facebook ads. (laughs) Yeah, that can be really dangerous. And that's where you get this taste in your mouth that says, oh, I tried it. It doesn't work. Or I did it and I spent all this money and I got nothing for it. And that always, in fact, yesterday I sent an email to my list and I the subject line was my achy, breaky heart. (laughs) <laughs> it was how that, that whole philosophy right there is heartbreaking to me because I know that, that this does work. It's just you have to do it with some intentionality. So what would be some goals or strategies for someone who makes something? Yeah. Well, I think makers, I'll be honest, especially because of my time with Cricket, I think makers have a distinct advantage over a lot of other industries because of the visual nature of what you do. If you think about like a maker compared to somebody who's creating a digital course, right? It's not the same. And so I think that I want to first and foremost encourage you listening that you do, even if you've, you know, whether you've never tried Facebook ads or you've struggled or you have an advantage. And so it's it's really laying this out. So let me walk through a big picture strategy that I actually really refined working with Cricket. 
And I've used this with every one of our clients, no matter the size, no matter what we've done, and it's worked. And I can talk through it with you, Sue, and then we can maybe unpack a few things that feel right for your audience. Is that okay? That sounds perfect. Okay, great. So I've developed this process that I like to call the three pillars to successful social advertising. And again, like this really came from being up to my eyeballs in cricket stuff. (laughs) So all of the different video things, all of the things that we've done for them. So the three pillars are very simple. The first one is audience growth. You always want to be thinking about how can I increase the number of people who are aware of me, who have seen what I do or know what I do. Maybe it's whether it's their fans or they've consumed a video that you've created or they've visited a store that you have. It's think of the first pillar is I just want to grow my reach. I want to grow my followers. I want to grow my audience. Again, that's not just fans. Okay. That's just people who know who you are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just so that they know you exist. Exactly. I've always said, if you've got the best lemonade stand in the world in the middle of the desert and nobody knows you're there, like, what does it matter? (laughs) Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So the first step is how can you be focusing on increasing those people who know you, right? Or have heard of you. Maybe they don't want to do business with you yet or buy your stuff, but that's just the first step. So that's, that's pillar number one. Pillar number two, which I believe is the most important. And I think this is also where as a maker, you have the greatest advantage. And that's what I call the engagement pillar. The engagement pillar is where you are putting out stuff on social and you're not asking necessarily for anything. You're not asking for people to buy, but you're showing things, you're demonstrating things, you're explaining things. And I think, again, this is where makers have the greatest advantage. And one thing that's worked incredibly, incredibly well with Cricut is we run a lot of content that is project demos. So for example, one that we've used for a very long time, we've been able to keep it running, is a video that a Cricut maker submitted, it was user-generated content, submitted to Cricut, and it's basically making a monogrammed headboard. And the video was sped up. You know, it was a demonstration of how to use the machine and they sped it up and they showed the project. And I believe it's a 30 second video, but it's been such an incredibly powerful video that we've had amazing, amazing results with it. Because sometimes when you can show a project, now Cricket's case is a little different because they're selling something that shows you what you can make with it. But you could still, if you're making something that you're selling or you've got a unique process, you can use this engagement strategy to show people, to demonstrate them, to display visually what it is that you're doing. And that is absolutely, it's incredibly powerful. And a lot of people who jump into Facebook advertising, skip that piece. They go straight to the third pillar, which is the conversion pillar, which is where you're trying to generate a sale. You're trying to generate a lead. You're trying to essentially make money, which is really, you know, we're all trying to do that, right? And I'm not saying that that pillar isn't important. The conversion pillar is very important. We want you to be profitable. We want you to sell the things that you make, the beautiful creations, the things that you're putting out into the world. But a lot of times you will find that you'll have much more success when you finally ask people to purchase or to buy from you or to do business with you if you have used that engagement pillar to show them before you ever ask them. Okay, so I love all three of these. I totally agree with you 100% and it's so logical, right? First, you have to have somebody know you, well, know you exist. Right. Then you have to have someone learn a little bit about you, give them information about you, and only then can you really ask for a sale. In all fairness, you can ask for a sale without any of those other things, but it's going to be harder, it's going to be more expensive, and it's going to be less frequent, right? Right, because it's a shot in the dark for the most part. Correct, yeah. Okay, so a couple of things that I'm thinking just of the audience and probably what we all do is I think that maybe we're trying to do some audience growth 
and we're trying to do some engagement because I've gotten a lot of people doing Facebook Live now, which I'm so happy about. That's great. They're getting comfortable with being in front of the camera or having their hands doing whatever it is that they make, but they don't think about putting advertising behind it. So then they'll do all of that on their pages. Instagram too, right? Yep. But then if and when they're doing ads, they're always thinking the ads are directly to the sale. Yeah. So it's organic, organic ads. Yeah. And this is something, again, I totally cre- I credit the CEO of Cricket. He really, he's such an amazing man. I really, I think highly of him. And he's very focused on creating value for the community, for their customers. And that's really where this whole engagement piece comes into play. And it's, I'm glad that you mentioned Facebook Lives because that's been a tremendous strategy for Cricket's account because they do so many Facebook Lives. And not every Facebook Live is really meant to have any paid amplification put behind it, but there are some that have been very strategic. And so let's talk about how you decide if you're going to do engagement content, how do you decide what piece you're going to do or how do you decide what to do? Because that's always the question I get, right? Like, okay, well, that sounds great, but how do I know what to put out there? Right. Plus, Facebook prompts you and says, boost this one. Every time I do live, they are always wanting me to boost the lives. Yeah. Sometimes it's not always the best approach. And so one of the things I always consult and coach people to do is begin with the end in mind, right? There's a great book that has been around forever. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And in it, he talks about one of the seven habits is that you start with the end in mind. So what is your ultimate goal? This is how we structure campaigns for cricket. So what are we trying to do, right? What are we trying to sell? What's the ultimate objective? So if let's just say that we are trying to sell the cricket maker, one of their newer products, the engagement content that we're going to serve up prior to asking for that sale is going to be something that is very specific to that machine, right? It's very specific that you can't do on any of their other machines. They just released, oh my goodness, they just released a new, it's a game changer. It's infusible ink. (laughs) And so maybe we're trying to do something with that. And so the engagement content that we're going to put out there and we're going to actually put advertising dollars behind is going to be a project that relates to that infusible ink. And we don't always think this way, Sue, but you have to think of yourself as a leader and that you are leading your potential clients, your potential customers, you're leading them to where you want to ultimately take them. And I'm assuming that you're leading them to something that's great, right? Like you're making something that is worthy of purchasing, like you're making something that people should purchase, that it's going to make their life better. So don't be afraid to think that way. Don't be afraid to think that you're leading them to an outcome. And so as you're kind of mapping out what that outcome is and start working backwards, what would they need to see before I ask them to purchase that would help them be excited about this, right? Maybe you're in glass making and you have this really cool video of you doing it. My sister-in-law did that with her cookies where she took videos and she sped them up of her hand decorating these amazing cookies. And those have been great engagement content ads because it gets people like, oh my gosh, that's so incredible. I have to have those for my next party. Exactly. So it's not necessarily that you are selling them the process, like with Cricut, you're selling the equipment, but it might just be a behind the scenes of this is how this is made. This is how it's so unique. And then people are going to want it. Exactly. Okay. And that's all part of engagement. It is, right? So think of engagement. The difference between engagement and conversion pillars is the conversion is when you're actually asking for a sale right? And so to take it out of digital, the analogy is whether you're married or you're in a relationship, most people don't make a commitment on the first time you meet someone, right? You don't say, oh, hi, I just met you. You're beautiful. Marry me, right? You know, typically we don't do that. And when we've never engaged with somebody, we've never met them, they don't know anything about us. And the first time they meet us, we ask them to buy something. We're asking for that commitment without any knowledge, without any trust, without anything. And so the conversion campaign is when you're asking for something. 
So the engagement campaign is you're not asking for anything. You're just providing value. You're just demonstrating. You're showing them something. You're teaching them something. And you're not asking for anything in return. And it's very, very effective. And you might be thinking like, well, why would I spend advertising dollars on something? I'm not asking for anything, right? Like sometimes we don't understand how this is going to affect us long term. But what that does is especially, oh my goodness, especially if you can somehow use video. So it's Facebook Lives or a video that you create. You can actually create, Facebook allows you to create audiences of people that watch your videos. So let's say that you put this video out and it goes viral and people are loving it. You don't necessarily always want something to go viral. You can be very successful without virality, too. So I don't want to make people think that their stuff has to go viral. But let's just say that you get tremendous feedback, people watching it. Well, now let's say you have 5,000 people that watched your video. Now you can send those 5,000 people an ad asking them to buy the product or whatever the outcome is, whatever you were showing the behind the scenes of asking them to purchase. And now you're only asking people who have showed an interest because they watched your content and they loved it. Right. So you're, it's kind of like you're going down a funnel with your ads even. Exactly. That's one of the things that we do is we actually architect out advertising funnels. We base it on the customer journey. We base it on the psychology, right? The psychology of buying. And we know that 2% of people, and I don't know if you've ever shared this on your show, but 2% of people on average purchase the first time they see something. So what do you do with the 98%? Like, what do you do with them? And that's where having a strategy to use social ads, and you can have this strategy with a very small budget, and you can have it with a very, very big budget. But it's, again, when you are putting ad dollars out there that you're using it very wisely with a lot of wisdom and not just, like you said earlier, everybody says I should be doing Facebook ads, so I'm just going to do Facebook ads. Without a plan. Without a plan, (laughs) right. Okay, so if someone were just beginning, do they go through, based on your strategy, do they go through pillar one and then pillar two and then pillar three? Yeah. So if someone's brand new and just getting started, what I would recommend, so there's a couple things. So pillar three is where you're going to make your money. So we always try to make sure we get pillar three out there as quickly as we can for our clients, because if we don't, then it can get very expensive. But if you're just getting started, then let's just say you have a very small ad budget. Maybe you have $10 a day that you could put into this. Where I would start is I'd start directly in pillar two. I'd go right to that engagement because what that will allow you to do, it actually allows you to kill two birds with one stone because you'll actually start building an audience of people that are starting to consume your content. They're consuming your engagement content. So you're kind of doing two things at once. And for our clients or for people I consult with that don't really have the budgets that some of our bigger clients have, that's usually where we start. We start quickly with pillar two. We get a very important piece of engagement content, something that is ultra congruent with what the ask would be. So if you're going to ask them to buy something, make sure whatever you use in that ad and that pillar two ad, make sure that it really will make sense. Because once you start getting some traction in that engagement ad, then you can start a pillar three ad right away and retarget those people in pillar two and ask them to purchase. So you're doing a couple of things. You're bringing them further along in the story. Yes. But you're also, you're kind of educating them before the sale. Exactly. Yep. And the one thing that's really, really great about both Facebook and Instagram is you can do visual storytelling. What's visual storytelling? We're going to talk about it right after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of The Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. Maybe you don't have a video, but you've got a bunch of still images. 
you could tell the story in pillar two in a variety of creative ways. I mean, I'm talking to creative people, right? So this part should actually be really fun. Like making that pillar two content should probably be very fun for you. Hopefully, right? And you're probably more creative than you realize when it comes to videos or creating images. There's a phrase that goes like this, all things being equal, people do business with people that they know, like, and trust, right? That's been around for a while. So people do business with people they know, like, and trust. Well, I think there's a piece missing. And the piece that's missing is remember, people do business with people they know, like, trust, and remember. And that engagement pillar, telling the story, taking them along the customer journey, educating them, and being very consistent with what you're putting out and and putting paid advertising behind helps you to be memorable so that when you do ask for the sale, people are highly likely or more likely to actually engage with you, which is huge. And it makes it profitable. When you bring up this whole idea of remember, we often talk about, and we're getting off of the Facebook platform, but just for a second, we often talk about how you also should be capturing customers' emails, of course, but prospects' emails too, so they can remember. They saw you at a craft show and they were interested, but they didn't buy then, then they're going to get an email from you within the next couple of weeks, and they might be interested then, but that's that's another way to remember. So this is the way of doing it through Facebook. Yeah, and that's so important. And the other thing too, just to kind of keep in mind, and I won't get too technical on this, but well, this is one of the reasons why you want to make sure you have a business page and that you use paid traffic because Facebook allows you to create these audiences of people. So you put a video out there and you put paid amplification behind it and you get it in front of the bright people, right? You get it in front of people who are highly interested or likely interested in what you're doing. And now you can start to, it's kind of like the invisible email list. You can start to build up an audience of people who are watching your content. And so you can be remembered by them because maybe you can send another ad, another piece of engagement content just to those people. And then to take it a step further, the Facebook tracking pixel, you can put that on all of your websites. So let's say you wrote an amazing article that talks about something to do with whatever it is that you do. If you have people that are visiting your website, you can now build audiences of people. It's like being able to email them without having their email. (laughs) It's, It's very, very powerful. And not just that. I mean, we all know that email doesn't get opened all the time either. So we're seeing this in all different mediums, right? So Facebook organic reach, you're getting about 3%. Well, if you're lucky. Yeah. So email open rates, you're probably lucky if you're getting 20%. You know, it depends on how your list is looking. And another thing that I know you can do with Facebook is then target your list. Let's say you have an email list, then you can also send ads to that email list. And you might say, well, why would I do that if I can just email them? They're not always looking or your email doesn't end up in the inbox. So it's another strategy. Think of your own behaviors. Like, I mean, I'm looking at Instagram, I'm looking at Facebook, I'm looking at email, and I see different things, different places. And I'm sure there's so much now where you can look. I'm missing things in certain places, things that I want to see. So it's just another opportunity for you to get in front of your prospective customer. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that we do is, you know, I'm talking about the three pillars and pillar two being engagement. We actually, when we're architecting these out and we do this for Cricket, we do this for all of our clients, but we actually take pillar two and we break it out. We break it out into two pieces and one we call pre-engagement, which is all we've been talking about right now. Pre-engagement is providing value before you ask for the sale. But then we also have post-engagement campaigns. And post-engagement is what happens to those 98% that you offered your product to, but they didn't buy, or they added it to the cart and they abandoned their cart or things like that. And so post-engagement content is, again, it's not necessarily asking them to buy, but very, very specific value-based that could be reviews, right? It could be reviews of your work. It could be reviews of from past customers. 
And we're putting that there to build up that no like, and trust to bring those people back to purchase again. Because sometimes people just don't buy because they got busy or their kids came in the room or the dog started barking or the phone rang, you know, like they could have been in the middle of something and then they just forgot. And when you don't have a strategy to go back to capture that, I think of a, there was this, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was essentially having a garden inside. It was really, really interesting. You could have fresh food that you could grow in your house year round. And I remember seeing it and I got busy and I didn't see it again and I wanted to buy it. And I was so frustrated. Where is that? Where is that? And I just, being a Facebook advertiser, I was like, golly, this is what I teach. Like they forgot to have the follow-up and maybe they assumed I wasn't interested. And so they didn't never served another ad to me. But the truth of the matter is, is most people who aren't purchasing from you, it's not because they're not interested. It's because the timing is not right. And so you have to have a strategy to be the right place at the right time when the time is right. Okay, I want to make sure that this ends up being really actionable for our audience. We haven't talked a lot about the first one. Let's just, someone who's never done Facebook ads before, can you give us a couple of specific actionable things that they should consider starting with? Yeah, so I would say the very first thing, if you've never ever run ads or even if you have, and I see people who spend thousands of dollars on ads getting this wrong. So the first thing you should do is you should actually take some time. And and I've got someone on my staff who is, she's a maker, she's a quilter, and she's got a really neat little side business. But one of the things, this is all she does for us, is she spends between eight to 15 hours on every client doing research. And I'm not saying you need to spend that much time, but before you put any money behind running a Facebook ad, the worst thing that you can do is just click that button that says boost post and just send it off to whoever. Oh, we're going to need to talk about that more then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So the very first thing I would suggest that you do is grab yourself a pad and paper, grab a spreadsheet. Like we prefer a spreadsheet because it's easier and just start doing some research, some interest-based research. So that is similar to keywords, right? So if you're doing, let's say glass making, right? So what would somebody who likes that sort of thing, what would they watch? What magazines would they read? Are there TV shows? Are there networks? Are there gurus? Like, would they like Joanna Gaines or would they like Martha Stewart? And you start pulling together the interests that your ideal prospect may like. Now, this is super important because this is how you're going to have more success is you're going to be more likely to get whatever ad you're going to run. If you get it in front of the right people and you hit the mark, this is a really big deal. You don't want to keep it as broad as women between the ages of 25 and 65. Like that's ridiculous, you know? So, and I see this happen a lot. So the very, very first thing would be to actually spend some time and dig into what are the likes, what are the interests of these ideal people that you're going to sell to. And if you don't know, like if you have no idea, but maybe you have some customers, like this would be a good time to actually maybe survey your audience, ask them some questions. Like I said, are there magazines that they read? Are there TV shows that they watch? You know, you might find that everybody that buys from you loves the TV show, This Is Us. Like there's something about that persona. (laughs) And so that should be part of your targeting, right? Does that make sense, Sue? Like doing the research? It makes a ton of sense. And I have a question for you here too, because I have actually been digging into interest. You know, I have two businesses. Interesting to see how the interests are different between the businesses, but where I'm going to get it for what I'm doing right now is Google Analytics. And one of the things that I found really interesting is one of my top categories for the ribbon print company is people who have pets. Interesting. It was surprising to me. So let's say there's a knitter and they are looking at their Google Analytics and they're seeing the same thing, that it's family lifestyle and pets. 
not only might that be an interest that I could target to, but I'm also thinking, and this is a question for you, Tracy, is then wouldn't it also make sense for me to do visual content? Like maybe I'll have a picture of someone wearing a scarf out taking their dog for a walk. Yeah, that's getting really strategic. And that you might have multiple buyer personas, right? You might have a pet owner and you might have somebody who has young children. And so you could actually be, you know, that goes into testing your actual assets, your creative assets and your visuals, which is performing better. So by starting with the audience research, by doing this, so if you hadn't have pulled that from Google Analytics, you may never think about going and targeting pet owners. And now pet owners is a whole nother, like that's just, there are so many deep audiences that you can start to build. The gal who does all this for me on my team, she actually struggles with ADHD. But in this example, it's an incredible benefit because she goes down all these rabbit holes, these rabbit trails, and she ends up with these amazing audiences that we never would have thought of for our customers. And that allows us as our ads get more and more successful, it allows us to scale because now we have all these people that we can test different messaging, right? We can test a different hook with a dog lover versus somebody who maybe is single and likes to drink tea at night. You know, there's like two different things. Right. Yeah. And you've got to start though. You've got to start with the research in some places. So Google Analytics is really good, right? Looking at your Google Analytics, Facebook has something called audience research. So you can go into, into Facebook. It's free. It's available to everybody. And you can type in, like, let's just say, for example, you type in knitting. When you type that in, you can then start to see, well, what other pages do people that like knitting like? And so you might find that they like Hobby Lobby. And so then you start building this out. Okay, what other places, like what other things do they like? They might like Etsy, right? They might like all these other different things. And so you can use that. You can use straight up Google, like we use Google all the time where we put in a keyword or a term and we start to see like what's coming up and are there forums around this? And we go into the forums and we look for language. What words are they using? What are they talking about? And then the other place that's really useful is Amazon. There might be a book on that topic. And so we'll type in the keyword. So I'd put in knitting and then I'd see what books are coming up for knitting. And then I would look and see, are there magazines? And then you've got that handy dandy thing with Amazon where it says people who looked at this also looked at this. And you're like, oh, okay. Now you've got all these ideas you never thought of. And that would be the first place before you put a single dollar in, you need to know who you want to put your message in front of. I think that's the first step, Sue, is if you do that, if you just dedicated, let's say over the weekend or so, you dedicated five hours to this, you'll be absolutely amazed with what you will have in your hands. Well, and that's good knowledge, not just for ads, but just to know your customer overall. Correct. You've got demographics, right, which are age and gender and all those things, but then you have psychographics and psychographics are interests. What do they like? What are they worried about? What are they reading? Where are they going? Are there events? All of those things. And that's a really important thing. And it's a super useful thing to do. Absolutely. Love that. Now, how many of you guys are going to do that this weekend? (laughs) This is an assignment. (laughs) Yeah, I sure hope you do it. I really do. I think you'll be blown away by what you learn from it. Yeah, I think it would be super interesting. Okay, and so then where would you go from there? So you do your research, then what happens? So once you have that, the next thing, again, if you're just brand new and you're just getting started, once you have that, and again, just to back up, even if you're not brand new, do the research anyway. I'm telling you, I have Mm -hmm. clients that we take on that run hundreds of thousands of dollars of ads that never have done the research as deeply as we do it. So it's worthwhile, no matter where you are, no matter what stage you are in your business. So that being said, the next thing I would then do is I would look for that piece of engagement content. Is there something that maybe you already have? Is there a Facebook Live that you've already done? Is there something that is really content rich? It's visually appealing. It really is congruent with your ultimate offer. I would either find that. Another thing you can do is audit your content that you've already created. Maybe you've got some demo videos. Maybe you've done a Facebook Live. 
Look for what you already have. Like there's no point in recreating the wheel if you already have it, right? There's a supplement brand that has done millions of dollars in sales from a YouTube video that they had created two years prior to running Facebook ads. It was perfect. There was no point in creating a new one. We just used that one. Well, because you think how many people haven't seen it yet, even though it's older and you've had it, if your product hasn't changed, then there's a million people who haven't seen it. Exactly. I would then do a little inventory of all of your assets because sometimes we think we have to always be creating stuff. And that's not a bad thing. But if you want to get started and you want to try to get some traction, look for something that you've already done. And if you don't have something, then it's like, okay, now what should I create? So you've listened to this conversation. You listened to me talking about beginning with the end in mind. You want to make sure that it's congruent. So start to brainstorm. What could be some things that I could show? So imagine you were face to face with your ideal client and you're not necessarily pitching them to buy something, but what would you want to tell them? Would you want to tell them about how this is made? Would you want to tell them the story behind this? Is there something special? Is it sustainable yarn that you're using? Like what is the, you know, that's a great piece of content. And maybe you want to have two or three of them that you could test to see which is hitting the mark with your prospects. And then I would take all of that audience research you did and I would then create a campaign. If it's a video, I would do a video view campaign. I would go into Facebook Ads Manager. It doesn't have to be that scary if you've never used it before. I would go in there and create yourself a video view campaign targeting the people, targeting some of the interests that you discovered during your research and let that baby fly. Like let it run. Don't touch it for about 72 hours. You might be nervous. Like what if it's not getting what I want out of it? Well, Number one, know that you're not asking for people to purchase. You're just trying to grow engagement. You're trying to provide value and let it go for about 72 hours so it can optimize. Then look at it and say, gosh, is, are people watching this? If nobody's watching it after 72 hours and you miss the mark, time to take that down and try a new one. But the mistake people make is that they put the ad up and they're checking it every hour and they're making massive changes after three hours of the ad being up. And that the algorithm hasn't even had a chance to get it in front of people yet. So you've got to give it some time. Got it. And what the algorithm then tries to do is see who's watching it and then go find more people like that. Exactly. Yeah. So if you imagine kind of like a big circle and in that circle, there are a thousand people. If person number one watches the video and then person number five watches the video, then Facebook's going to go, oh, let's find more people like one in five. And then now some of the people of that thousand in that circle step out and a couple more step in. And now it starts to get some traction. And it is really important to give it some time. And so it gets smarter and smarter over time, because obviously if your base of people who are watching gets richer, Facebook has a better chance of getting the right people. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, too, is that if you do make this decision that you're going to put some money behind paid traffic, you're going to actually do some paid social. The key to success is to stay consistent. Like if you've got a campaign that you put up and it's not resonating, it's not people aren't watching it. It's not really what's happening the way you would hoped. Have another one ready to go, because what's happening is the Facebook algorithm is learning about you. It's learning about your audience and it's data gathering and data is priceless. Like it's so, so important for you to understand what is working and what isn't, what's resonating with your audience. And so one of the mistakes I see businesses make is they run ads and then they stop. They just completely stop. And then their pixel goes cold. All the data in their ad account kind of gets stale and the algorithm is no longer refining its learning. So if you can maintain, I think the minimum is on a video campaign, I believe it's like a dollar to $2 a day. If let's say you're running $10, $20 a day and then you have to make some adjustments, we'll scale your campaigns back and at least keep something running. If it's possible, you, you totally want to do that because you don't lose all the learning. So I've never known this before. So the learning is cross-campaign? 
So the learning happens in a lot of different places. There are campaign learnings, there are ad set learnings, there are ad learnings, and then there are account learnings. So the algorithm is so insanely complicated, which is part of why all my company does is Instagram and Facebook advertising because it's difficult. It's a specialty unto itself for sure. It is a specialty for sure. And so there are many, many factors that go into the success of your ad campaigns. And it is even impacted by things like your regular organic posting strategy. So like, for example, there was a time and I've heard somebody talk about it recently and it's terrible advice, where people were trying to grow followers. They were trying to get penny likes by running like campaigns to their pages in third world countries, India, Pakistan, all of those places. That is actually very, very damaging to your business page and your engagement and all of that that you do organically. That impacts the learning on your ad account. It's actually, it's much bigger and it's much smarter than most of us realize. So to me, that's another reason why Cricket has been such a joy of a client and they've done so incredibly well is because their behavior on their organic side is so spotless. It's so clean and it's so good. And they're constantly putting out such great value that helps them from an advertising standpoint. The learning that we get day in and day out with all of their posts helps the performance and the relevance of all the ads. So it all plays together, Sue. So interesting. Oh my gosh. Okay. I have a couple of questions here for you. I'm seeing that we've been on for a while. We could probably go for another couple hours. Yeah, there's so much more. <laughs> I know you have a plane to catch. You're coming to <laughs> Chicago today. Yeah. 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 Let's talk a little bit more about the boosting because I know my audience is doing this. I've always heard not to boost. And I know you can get more targeted at boosting right now, but I've never done it because I've always been told you're just throwing away your money. So share with us some intelligence on this boosting. Yeah, so we don't recommend boosting. It's actually gotten better than it used to be. And so the boosting, that button that says boost this post, that is, so this is just my opinion, okay? So this is Facebook's way to get more people to spend advertising dollars unintelligently, okay? Which I don't advocate at all. Like you mentioned in my intro, like I believe that this can change the world. Businesses can change the world if they get their message in front of the right people. And boosting doesn't necessarily give you the control to make sure that you're targeting the right people. The other thing about boosting posts, okay? When you run a Facebook ad, Every Facebook ad, every Facebook campaign has an objective. That objective is saying to Facebook, give me people who are highly likely to do X, Y, and Z. Okay. So some of the objectives are purchase, which is a conversion one. So people who are highly likely to buy. What that's going to do is that's going to tell Facebook, put this ad in front of buyers. Okay. If you say, I want to do a video view objective. Well, what that's going to tell Facebook to do is it's going to put this Facebook knows a lot about us, right? It knows a lot about our behaviors. So it's going to put that video in front of people who are highly likely to watch the video. Now, that doesn't mean those people are buyers and it doesn't mean that they're not buyers. It just means that these are people who are video watchers. So the campaign objective that you choose, you're going to get those results. So if you boost a post, okay, a boosted post is what's called a page post engagement a campaign objective. Now, a page post engagement campaign objective says, Facebook, put this in front of people who are likely to like, comment, and share. So if you've been boosting posts hoping to sell something, Facebook is not putting that ad in front of people who are highly likely to buy. They're putting the ad in front of people who are going to engage, who are going to like, comment, and share. I've used engagement this whole time about the engagement pillar. The engagement pillar is a strategy. Engagement objective is an activity. It's an action, right? So they're two different things. I don't want to get anyone confused here. But the boosted post, Sue, that's all it's doing is it's only going to give you people who are likely to like, comment, and share. But is that bad if you're wanting to deepen your audience and have them know you better and attract more people? 
it's not necessarily bad. Okay. So where it becomes problematic is if you're not utilizing the interest research that we talked about earlier. So sometimes when you boost a post, you're not able to build out the targeting as deeply as you could as if you were running it through the Facebook ads manager and running it as a clean campaign. The other thing is, is if you're running a boosted post, like it gets a little complicated, but you don't have the option to optimize that. You can't make the changes to a boosted post that you could over to uh, if you were setting it up a different way. And the other thing is if you're boosting, like for example, you're boosting a Facebook Live, think about it, right? If you're boosting a Facebook Live, what do you want people to do? You want them to watch it, right? A boost is not going to necessarily get that in front of people who are likely to watch it. It's going to get people who are likely to like, comment, and share it. Like, comment, and comment on it unless they've watched it. Well, you'd be surprised. Sometimes people, there are people out there who are just, they're thumbs up happy. They scroll through it, they watch a second <laughs> of it, and they might make a comment. Ideally, if yeah. you're going to video content, you want to run a video view objective because a video view objective will essentially, you can optimize that for, they have 10 second video views through plays, which means watching it all the way through. And then you get statistics in the ads manager that shows you, okay, so you ran this video view campaign, 25,000 people watched three seconds, 4,000 people watched 25%, 3,000 watched 75%. That's valuable, valuable information that you wouldn't see if you were boosting a post because you're not running it that way. So if like, if all of this is like, whoa, like I don't understand all of that, then I would definitely encourage you, you know, there's courses out there. Like I actually don't teach the nitty gritty, but there's lots of them out there. You can also go to YouTube. There's so many places where you can learn how to set up an ad. It's really not that hard. Yeah, so many places. The only other thing I want to say about boosting a post, I have this vision and tell me if this is right, Tracy. Boosting a post, I feel like is just a bunch of one-offs. Like if you boost one post here, you boost one post here. None of that integrates in with a strategy. It just feels like you're throwing money away. It really does. It's funny, when we first took Cricket over, that's all they did is they boosted posts because they didn't know any of this stuff. And there was no rhyme or reason to it. It's like, oh, well, let's boost this and try to get more people. And so when we refined their strategy, it was like, again, let's be very mindful and let's start with the end in mind. And let's make sure we're putting advertising dollars behind content that is strategic and is actually going to get us, hopefully, the results we're looking for. This is something that, without getting too complicated, but there is a way. So let's say you have an organic post that did really, really well and you want to put some ad dollars behind it. Well, there is a way in Ads Manager where you can set up a campaign with any kind of objective, depending upon what the actual post is. And you can use something called a post ID, which is essentially the URL of your Facebook post. So the cool part with this is you can take all of that social proof on your organic post and still run ads to it and not lose the social proof and get it in front of the right people and have all the optimization and all the stuff we've been talking about. So it's a little bit more advanced. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but that would be the way to do it. Instead yeah. of just boosting a post, you can take something that's really working. You're not really boosting it. You're doing it in a different way, but you're enhancing what's already out there that seems to have gotten traction. And we do that all the time with Cricket's content because they do have a very highly engaged page. And so if there's something that is performing really, really well and it is congruent, then we will pull that post ID and we'll put it right into campaigns. And it's awesome. It's a really great strategy because we can keep all of the comments, the likes, the shares, the video views, all of that in that same post. And then the cool part is, and this is a little bit ninja, but then what we're able to do is we're able to target all sorts of different people and different ad sets using the same exact post ID. So all of this stuff is getting funneled into this one amazing post. It's a very powerful strategy. Love yep. it. And Gift Biz listeners, you just heard Cricket used to do this too. So if yep. you're sitting <laughs> yep. there like, oh my gosh, I've been boosting posts. They used to do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Now you know better. Now you know how to do differently. Okay, so I'm going to summarize here because I'm seeing that we should be winding down. If you're just now thinking maybe you've never done Facebook ads, you've been in business for a while, or you're just starting 
absolutely go in and do the research. It's going to serve you really well, not just for Facebook ads, but for other things within your business, because you're going to know your customers so much better. And then take action on some type of engagement content. Look at what you already have. If not, then you'll have to create something. But if you have something that's already been performing or working, and I love that you say even if it's a couple years old, Tracy, because I know a lot of people would have content. And then start taking action, playing around with it and seeing what type of results you get. And then I think your next extension would be here after that. Then try and put some real sales ads up, conversion ads up. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to make sure that you've really built a solid foundation, then you can wait until you've had a lot of, you just had a lot of traffic, a lot of people seeing your content. But yeah, then you want to definitely start putting that out there. And you can serve up sales ads to people who've never heard of you, but you're going to see significantly better results if you're following that story that you've been telling and then asking, making the ask of people that are further along the process with you than people who've never heard of you. Okay. And wouldn't you say that sales could come from the engagements too, because people are going to see it and then say, oh my gosh, I got to go check their website. I'm so glad you asked that. I don't talk about this very often, but yes. And this is part of where I think the maker community has such an advantage because I only see this happen in arts and crafts clients. We don't see this in any other niche, but we do see conversions happen in those engagement campaigns. We see conversions happening from video view campaigns. We totally see that happening. We've seen things with Cricut that I've had to go to my Facebook rep and say, is this right? Because it's just, <laughs> we don't see it anywhere else. And number one, I think it's the visual aspect of a maker business. And I think number two, it's the nature of the people who love maker businesses. I think it's just something that's really unique that probably only happens maybe in the pet space, but it doesn't happen anywhere else. It does. It just doesn't. So we should be using that to our advantage then for sure. And would it be true to say that audience growth ads in terms of the number of people who will see it are less expensive than engagement, which is less expensive than conversion? Absolutely. The more you do this strategy, the more you put this into play, it's going to actually affect all of your marketing. It's really, really amazing. We've seen that long term, the costs go down, you know, the cost per click and all the things go down because we've built this huge, highly engaged audience. But the other thing that nobody expected to see, but we've been seeing this super consistently is even on the organic search, even on the Google side of things, it helps with all of that too. So if you are doing things like maybe search engine optimization or you're doing Google ads, like the stuff you're doing on social starts to help the whole ecosystem of your marketing efforts. It's super powerful, Sue. That's crazy. It's so crazy. How does the information transfer? Well, Google and Facebook are first and foremost, we think that they are digital platforms, but they're data platforms first and foremost. And so what happens is, is when you start getting all of these huge audiences over on Facebook and Instagram, and they're clicking through to your site, now your site is getting all of this traffic, your Google Analytics oh, right, is seeing all this right. juice. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah. all starts to go pass back and forth. Okay, I've got the connection now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tracy, I've learned so much during this interview. I could keep you on for like, I have another list of questions, but I don't, I know we're not going to have time for them now. So interesting. Oh, well, I'd be happy to come back another time. I love this community. We've loved working with Cricket. I think there's so many advantages and we've got an insight that a lot of people don't get to see. So I'm happy to share. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. And you've shared so much with us already. So to thank you for that, I would like to present you with a virtual gift. So this is a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. Maybe there's even some cricket cutouts on the box. <laughs> I don't know. But this is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. 
Please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What's inside your box? Oh, that's so sweet. I love this. I love this about you, Sue. Well, I think if I thought about this and I think that the thing that I would want in my box and I'd want to share this would be unshakable and consistent confidence. Because even though I am a maker from a hobby standpoint, I am a maker with strategy and it can be very challenging. I know it is for me personally, when you put your heart and soul into something and you take the risk to put it out in the world, it can be nerve wracking. And so if I know for me personally, when I operate at a place of just unshakable confidence, I show up as the best version of myself and then everything else falls into place. You know, all of the goals and dreams and all that stuff starts to happen. So thank you for giving me that gift because that's what I would want to open every single morning and every night. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that for you. I mean, I hear you just speak confidence, like the whole interview. So I can't even imagine you not feeling that way. But I get it. We all are like we all that do. at some point. And it's so funny that you say that because the podcast that went live last week is all about this. Oh, is it really? Yeah. It's the mindset of a business boss, the real truth. And I get raw and we chat about all of that. <laughs> You're just reinforcing the fact that it's true and it's real. We all deal with it and we just have to get over it. We have to find ways to cope and manage and move on. Yep, absolutely. Keep that confidence high. That's (laughs) right. It's brutal when it's low. It's brutal and it's self-sabotaging. And yeah, we all go through it. So yes. So thank you for that. I'm glad you're sharing that with your audience because it's so important. So if anyone wants to dive in a little bit more, I've actually put together a page for your listeners. Oh, do share. (laughs) So if they head over to divinesocial.com forward slash gift biz, then on that page, there's, I actually have a a mini class. It's the three pillars to successful social ads. And there's a worksheet that you can download. It's a free class. You can grab that. And then I have a masterclass on the three pillars as well. So there's all that information over there. Feel free to take my gift and get the mini class. And if you want more, then definitely check out the masterclass. Fabulous. And Gift Biz listeners, you know that'll all be on the show notes page for you just in case you haven't been able to capture it here right now. This has been absolutely fabulous. I love that we kept it on the strategic end, but we still have left everybody with really some concrete things that they can do right as soon as they're done listening to the show. Thank you again for all of your insight, tips, direction, and advice. I think that you've really empowered a lot of people to go out and try Facebook ads probably for the first time. Well, thanks, Sue. It's truly been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that amazing to hear Tracy talk about the three pillars to success and her entire Facebook ad strategy? I just know that this is going to be one of those shows that will be listened to again and maybe even in triplicate. (laughs) I know you know this. It's important not to just listen to Great Direction, but to actually do something with it. So schedule some time in your calendar right now to do the research Tracy outlined. And also, don't forget to check out her other offerings over at divinesocial.com forward slash gift biz. And with that, I look forward to us all being together again next week. Bye for now. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just 
just for fun because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today.